With All Wisdom podcast. My name is Derek Brown. I am here today with Cliff McManus. We are both pastors of Creekside Bible Church in Cupertino, California. We are both pastors of theology at the Cornerstone Bible College and Seminary in Vallejo, California. And here today we are in part two of a series we started last time on how Christians should relate to the government. And in our last episode, we encourage you to check it out at withallwisdom.org. You can listen to that last episode if you haven't already. In that, we talked about how Christians often relate to or engage with the government. We offer two negative extremes, two ways that are that are not helpful and not biblical. Today, we want to speak positively about how Christians should relate to the government. We want to go to the, the Word of God and think about those things. And so, just like last time, I'm going to hand it over to Cliff and have him take it away. So, Derek, in answering the question, how should Christians relate to government, in the first episode, I just gave two words to hang our thoughts on, and that was well, what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't reform and reject. We should avoid those two extremes, reform mm-hmm. and reject. So I've got two words as well this time for the positive of how we should relate to the government. And instead of reform and reject, my two words are proclaim and pray. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things I want to talk about. Alliteration for both. That's helpful. Yeah, beautiful. Proclaim and pray. Um, first, I want to just briefly talk about proclaim, but then spend most of our time on one thing definitely that every Christian should be doing regarding their government at every level is pray. And we'll look at a key passage that tells us exactly how to do that in First Timothy 2. But proclaim and pray. So how should I relate to government? Uh, well, we should be all about proclamation as Christians. Mm-hmm. And there's a, kind of two prongs to that, a positive, negative. The proclamation first is the Great Commission. What Jesus told the church, that is your mission. That's what you do is the Great Commission, and that's to proclaim the gospel to the world, everybody in the world, to every unbeliever is a candidate to hear the gospel, that proclamation of that wonderful message, the the message of the gospel, which is good news. It's how uh, a sinner can be saved by the work of the Savior so that we can be uh, united to God the Creator in a harmonious relationship and it's the only solution in the world. It's through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And that, that is the mission of the church. And many times uh, we lose focus of that very simple mission and add other stuff to it, social gospel and social justice and everything else, that, but political activism. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's, it's sweet and simple. Jesus was clear about it. Matthew 28, Great Commission. Proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Yeah. A lifelong quest for every Christian and as a church. Uh, so that's what we do. We proclaim. And that will also be true of government and government officials because everybody's a candidate to hear the gospel, yeah. receive the gospel. Yeah. Um, but as we go out and proclaim, it has different effects. Uh, there's the gospel that we proclaim, which means we're speaking truth. But when we go out into the world and speak truth, uh, not, what, not everybody's going to re- receive that or welcome that. Right. We will get resistance. And right. so – Part of that resistance is because of sin. People love their sin, Jesus said in John 3. They don't Mm -hmm. love the truth. They Mm -hmm. love their sin. Therefore, they're going to resist. They're going to be hostile. That will manifest itself in different ways. They don't want to turn from their sin. So part of our proclamation, in addition to the good news of how to be saved, is accountability. Mm -hmm. So accountability does come with – it's accountability according to the truth of of God. That's uh, John 18. Jesus said he came to bring and manifest truth Mm -hmm. to the world. Because he is the truth, yep. and the church needs to do that. Yeah. The, the church is salt and light. Uh, every Christian needs to do that. 
out proclaiming, not just the gospel, but bringing truth that bears on the world and um, is salt and light and brings accountability to the world. And truth brings accountability to political officials. Yeah. Um, every political how did how did our governor in California become governor? That'd be an interesting question just to do a field survey of people in your church mm-hmm. one by one. How did the governor become governor? Who put him there? And yeah. you, you'll get different answers, right? Uh, because there's more Democrats than Republicans in California, or uh, he did it through compromise, or he paid his way there, or his uh, relatives are in the House of Representatives, or whatever the answer is. And, at a human level. And the answer is, well, God had put him there, ultimately. Yeah. That's really the ultimate answer. That's clear from Scripture. Um, but as we go out and proclaim truth, uh, that entails accountability. People will resist the truth. So part of that proclamation will be in the form of rebuke, mm. and that will also be rebuke towards our political officials. There are times where we have to call them into accountability as yeah. the church or as individual Christians. Yeah. Um, that shouldn't be a, tr- a surprise to those who read the Bible because that's what godly people and church leaders or religious leaders on behalf of God have been doing all throughout church mm-hmm. history in the Old Testament mm-hmm. where the godliest of people or the godliest of God's leaders uh, confronted the political officials, yep. the pagan, unbelieving, compromised political officials. And they weren't always pagan, the leaders that had to be confronted. Sometimes they were actually in the theocracy of Israel yeah. or supposedly right. they believed the Old Testament. That's right. Whether it was King Manasseh, who was most one of the most notorious and, and wicked kings of all, yet he was supposed to be leading God's nation, mm-hmm. or even King David, who knew God had to be called out. Yeah, he Nathan, did. the man of God, right? That's right. So it's not just the evil, wicked people like pagan governors of the state of California that need accountability and at times need to be called out with our proclamation of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of. Uh, Paul called out political officials yes, he with did. accountability of truth. Yeah. From uh, when he was on the island of Cyprus, he actually proclaimed the truth to the governor there, and that guy believed. Uh, but mm-hmm. then when he went to Philippi and ran into those uh, two or three local mayors mm-hmm. who put him in jail and whipped him and chained him illegitimately, right. boy, he gave them a tongue lashing, <laughs> and they were, they were afraid of his tongue lashing. They wanted him to leave town. Um. And then Paul would stand in the face of Festus, uh, the yeah. governor, or Felix, the governor, or yeah. Agrippa, uh, wanting to appeal to Caesar. And eventually, he did. He ended yeah. up going before the court of Nero, mm-hmm. which cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it goes with the territory of being a Christian. We are salt and light. Uh, salt and light aren't necessarily always positive words. Uh, many times they're negative in terms of their connotation. As salt, what do we do? We preserve this sinful, corroding society. Right, right. Uh, as a preventative preventative measure. And then also, because we're light, we expose the compromise. Mm-hmm. We expose the lies. Uh, we expose the sin, and you're going to get a reaction. So that's one of the ways that the church needs to relate to the government yeah. is hold it accountable. Yeah. Uh, and that has cost Christians their and believers their lives yeah. all throughout uh, the history of the world. And uh, one pastor was just pointing out, in light of this ministry of the church uh, that we're supposed to be calling out or – proclaiming truth of accountability to uh, political officials and leaders. It's only recently that the church hasn't been doing that mm-hmm. as a regular ministry mandated by God. That's a good point. Um, it has been neglected in the last hundred or so years, 200 years. So uh, how do we relate to government? Well, proclamation of the gospel and at times accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
then so that's one P word proclaim. But the other way we, that Christians should relate to the government is pray. And so I just want to read this key verse because this is where I wanted to hunker down and spend most of our time. And it is First Timothy two, one through four, and I'll just read it. Uh, and then I, second time I want to walk through it and maybe get some comments from you, Derek, on the commentary of it. It is there are a couple phrases in there that are difficult that Christians debate about the interpretation sure. of it. So. See if we can come to a meeting of the minds. But Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, by the way, Paul's writing, this is one of his last epistles. This was probably written in the early 60s, not long after a 25-year ministry, not long after this, he dies. Uh, ironically, he's going to probably be executed by Nero, yeah. who is the king or the emperor of the Roman Empire. The very emperor that Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. Um. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, first of all, then, he's talking to Christians, I urge you Christians, really I command you as an apostle on behalf of God. This is a mandate. This is not an option. That entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings. So that's four different words for prayer. Mm. I urge you to be praying and pray the prayers be made on behalf of all men or all people. Be praying for uh, all people in all very in various places of society, all kinds of people. Don't be partial in your prayer life. In other words, right. don't just pray for people you like, people you respect, people you know, people you get along with. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pray for them. <laughs> Derek, who's it hardest to pray for on a human level? Do you think? Well, I think. I mean, that's why Jesus instructed us to pray. In- for our enemies. Yeah, there it is. Because I just see this here, uh, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. Mm. I'm not sure the last time I thank God for some particular governmental leaders who I strongly disagree with. I yeah. I couldn't tell you the last time I thank God for them. Yeah. And yet I'm commanded to do that. Wow. And how do you do that? So that's part of what we want to, because people are, Christians are going to be asking the same question you're asking. How in the world do you pray Thanksgiving on behalf of <laughs> some political official who's right. either just given over to the cause of abortion and everything else? Yeah. It's an abomination. Yeah. So we want to talk about that. Um, so these prayers be made on behalf of all people, and specifically, verse 2, for kings. Yeah. Uh, for us today in America, that would be our president. It doesn't matter who's in office. I would say, what what are we on? How many is it? Forty five presidents, like, something like that. Yeah. And if you look at the history of them, it's an how many of our forty four presidents have been born again Bible believing Christians? I would say, well, less than five, if any at all. If any, if any. I mean, really, when you study their life, their history, what they believed, maybe two right. that I can think of mm-hmm. out of those forty, whatever. So, um. It doesn't matter if they're saved or not. We're supposed to be praying for our leaders, for kings and all who are in authority. So for us here in America, that's you know all the House of Representatives, mm. all the senators, our, all of our 50 governors, all of our mayors, uh, just everybody who's in an authoritative position. Yeah, That's a lot of praying. That is a lot of praying. And I, I'm rebuked, mm. honestly. Mm-hmm. I think the sum of my prayers is, Lord, have mercy. Mm. And give us wise leaders. Yep. It doesn't, it's not as thorough, mm-hmm. um, you know, walking through these different branches of government and levels mm-hmm. of government with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Yeah. Which, this requires homework because then you got to study who your government officials yeah. are. 
because it's it's not uncommon where you're talking to just your average Christian, especially younger people, even college college grads. Who is the House of Representatives, or I mean, who who has the House of Representatives? They don't know. Mm-hmm. Or who's who's the mayor of your city? They mm-hmm. don't know. Who's the two senators of your state? They don't yeah. know. Yeah, but Christians should know some of those, you know, priority ones, the main leaders, so they can pray for them. That's interesting. You mentioned that because last episode we talked about some who overly engage in the government, some who completely disengage. And this passage right here would say, at at least the level of knowing who you're praying for, you Christians should know who their leaders are. Yep. So you can pray for them. And so in that level, you you gotta you gotta do a little research, you gotta do a little homework, and yeah, figure out who these people are. You gotta know who they are. Then you gotta do a little more research because you gotta know what's going on, right? So you can pray for them specifically, right? Um, wow. So you do have to engage at a legitimate level for knowledge. Pray according to knowledge and according to God's will. Anyway, so we pray for kings. Those are the ultimate leaders, and everybody else who's in authority. In order that, so here's the purpose. Uh, well, why are we praying for these people anyway? Mm-hmm. What's the end? Which this helps inform our prayer specifically. Yeah. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. So that we may have really peace mm-hmm. in society. Which makes sense because whoever's the authority figure at the time, they immediately impact the nature of society, whether it's chaotic or harmonious, whether it's peaceful or oppressive. Right. Whoever the leaders are. Right. That's right. So there's a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is completely legitimate. We pray for those who are in authority. By the way, God gave them that authority, and then we need to pray for them because they might be prone to abusing that authority. Mm -hmm. So we want to pray for them that they use God's authority properly for the purpose of, according to this, that we as Christians will have peace Mm -hmm. in society so that we can lead a tranquil, meaning peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So this says a lot about what God expects of Christians of how they should be citizens and what their reputation should Mm -hmm. be. Christians shouldn't have the reputation of being rabble-rousers. Yeah. Boy, that's a really good point. Outright, you know, all they think about Christians are they're just protesting all the time mm-hmm. with their sign, mm-hmm. chained to the door of the government building. That's yeah. not Christianity. Yeah. That's God is not pleased with that. Wow. I, that's that's an amazing statement because, I, I mean, I've recently been engaging with people who are, like you explained uh, mm-hmm. or described just now, mm-hmm. professing Christians who are very much that way. And I think they're persuaded that they are far more Christian than I am mm. because I'm not doing those kinds of radical exercises. So it, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, because part of that, you know, salt and light or the salt part of us is we're a preservative to society. Mm-hmm. So the more Christians you have in a society or city, theoretically, uh, the more resources God has to to bring peace to that society, mm-hmm. to bring civility, yeah. to bring right. morality. Yeah. To bring order yeah. to that society as, he, as God uses his people who are his ambassadors, who are salt, uh, preserved to that sinful and perverse society mm-hmm. by nature. Um, so this is how we should be praying, that we can get leaders in place who will submit to God's law and do their one thing. And by the way, political leaders have 
just one job. It's pretty simple, actually, at least the job description, and that is uphold justice. That's their job. Yeah. That's it. Uphold justice. And from God's point of view, that's just two things. It's protect the innocent and punish the wicked. Yeah. That's all there is to it. But really, does that happen? Yeah. But that's how we should be praying. If they did do their job, then we would have Christians would be able to lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness. and We just want to live in society and be good citizens and being a blessing to whoever we can and mm-hmm. preach the gospel and mm-hmm. do ministry and uh, not be bothered. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be bothering others either. Yeah. Um, so that's the calling of – kind of like God wants Christians to kind of live under the radar of scandal and drama and the headlines. Wow, it's just it's just amazing. It's so contrary to the, to some of the things that are being said by yeah. uh, some Christians these days. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and peace. I think of you know during the COVID thing when uh, some of these laws actually were oppressive on the churches. Yes, and trying to keep us from worshiping, yeah. to go to church, to sing in church. That now that's where government is going. Um, usurping God's authority. Absolutely. They have no right to do that to the church. Absolutely. So so we were, you know, we, all we want, we just want a peace and tranquility. Mm-hmm. We just want to go to worship. Mm-hmm. We're not bothering you. And you're trying to shut our doors and keep us from singing and worshiping our God. So as a result, we, we did pray. You know, there are a lot of Christians praying, God, you know, change the leaders of the government or whatever. Allow us to just live peaceably so we can worship you because that's, you know, leading a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness mm-hmm. in a, a way that pleases God and dignity that's respectable. Uh, verse 3, this should be our goal as we're praying and our living because this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior. I just am I'm blown away by what Paul's talking about here because you could, if you didn't read this passage, you could just conclude from Paul's life and the way he talks about persecution and the way he was persecuted and the way he was bold for the gospel and just went after it and confronted people and confronted, that you would think that this is kind of a, a weak way to live. Like, this is this is not, this is the mediocre Christian life. But he just said this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior to pray for the societal peace and structure and good government so that we can live in a way that's quiet, godly, dignified, uh, serving the Lord, serving others, preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. And it, and so I can understand where there are some who maybe tend to gravitate towards that more radical, confrontational um, approach to to the culture and so on. But like you said, it's almost as though it's pleasing to the Lord to for Christians to live under the radar, to have more of a... a a quietly subversive effect um, on the on the culture through the preaching, and uh, you know we're not overtaking uh, institutions. We are we are preaching the gospel, and tra- hearts are being transformed, and people are being changed, and then they're having influence where they're at, and then they're and so yeah. No, that's remarkable. a good point because this is exhibiting quiet strength, mm-hmm. quiet yeah. strength, yeah, true meekness. And there is an irony there because you read the book of Acts, and I can see why Christians with that attitude sure. see that because literally Paul's going into some towns and they are calling him a rabble rouser and troublemaker, <laughs> right? Like in Thessalonica, and right. they kicked him out of town, or in Philippi, mm-hmm. or when he goes into uh, Jerusalem, they literally said he was stirring up trouble, and that's why they arrest right. him. He's a troublemaker <laughs> and a rabble rouser. Yeah. 
because he was always in opposition to the government and governing authorities. Well, that was not his attitude at all. Yeah, good point. And that was not uh, what he was trying to do, and that didn't please God. He wasn't trying to be a rabble-rouser. Yeah, good point. Um, he was just bringing the truth of the gospel. Yeah. And they hated it so much, mm-hmm. and they loved their sin so mm-hmm. much. They were the true rabble-rousers. Yeah. Like in Ephesus when there was a there was a riot, then they're trying to blame it on Paul. Yeah. And it's like, no, it was the government officials that started the riot. Uh, they were the ones who were the rabble-rousers. Um, so when you got uh, Paul saying, living this tranquil life, praying this way to this end, this is good and acceptable to the sight of God our Savior, uh, verse 4, challenging verse, who desires, or the, this is the will of God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So pray for all people, even pray for pagan political rulers and officials and uh, so that we can live quietly as Christians. But also, uh, related to prayer, there, this is a soteriological context. Salvation is involved here. Uh, so, Derek, let me ask you your thoughts on that very difficult passage, or at least verse 4, sure. big debate about it, that uh, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Yeah, I, take, I think I take this the same way that uh, you do. I take this to not be... Uh, all people with unqualified, all, just all people who have ever lived, but all people referring to uh, the all people back in verse one. So he just said, thanksgiving be made for prayers, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And who are they? Kings and who are people in high positions. And then he explains why. And this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. And so I take that to be all kinds of people. God desires all kinds of people to be saved. And so the implication would be that we want to pray for uh, a, uh, a kind of way of living so that we can continually share the gospel so that all kinds of people can be saved, and also to pray for those very leaders that are in charge so that they might be saved. Yep, I agree with you. I think it's all kinds of people, yeah. all demographics of people, yes. people from everywhere, from all nations, from all stratas of society. Yeah. Even political officials and rulers, he, I think he specifically mentions that because it's, sometimes it's hard to believe that some corrupt, immoral, all-powerful, megamillennial of a leader can mm-hmm. actually be saved. Right. I think there's a lot of Christians that believe that. Oh, I'll pray for everybody. There's no way that guy could be saved. Yeah. And they probably believe that about Nebuchadnezzar because he was one of the worst, yeah. one of the most notorious, evil, wicked rulers who had power over almost the entire world. Yeah. And yet God humbled him, and he got saved according to the Daniel chapter 4. He does, and he says some of the most beautiful, sublime things you can say about God in his it is. sovereignty. It's incredible, yeah. in chapter 4. Yeah. Uh, so the worst of the worst can be saved. So can I, I'm not sure if you, um, maybe you meant to do this, but uh, you mentioned Manasseh, who in my judgment was the worst of the worst yes. of, I think even the writer of, of Chronicles and, and uh, Kings as well, it, it, basically saying that he is the worst of the worst. Yeah. And... I take him to have actually gotten saved yep. as well. That he came that that phrase he came to know the Lord, which yep. is a a phrase that's used to to uh, say that someone has been saved in in the Old Testament. He came to know the Lord. That after all this horrible sin, just the, being the worst king, the idolatry, that actually he ends up getting saved. The Lord humbles him. He he does. He, um, Israel has to pay for. They are they are uh, they bear with the consequences of Manasseh's sin and his his wickedness, but he himself gets saved. And it's a remarkable story, but I think we're given that story in the Nebuchadnezzar story, in the Paul story, mm-hmm. to be 
encouraged to continue to pray for people who were quite certain they could never get saved. Yep. I mean, I think if we were back in the time of Manasseh, we'd be like, "There's no, there is no hope for this man. Yep. There's no hope for Nebuchadnezzar. There's no hope for Paul. Yep. And yet they are now examples of the grace of God. Uh, yeah, I, I distinctly remember still 35 years ago when I first became a Christian and read the Old Testament for the first time mm-hmm. and got to the story of Manasseh. Mm. I was disgusted. I'm thinking, top five most wretched people in history, he was there. <laughs> yeah. And what was also horrible about it, not only his corrupt, perverted nature, was he reigned for 55 years. Can you oh, imagine right. having yeah, somebody really as a kid for 55 years? And then God humbled him and saved him. Just mm. incredible. So yeah. that should give us hope. Um, yeah, so I've got important. seven ways okay. that we can pray for our political officials. Sweet. So I'll just go through these. Number one, uh, we can pray for their salvation. Does the gov- Do we want the governor of the state of California to be saved? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we can liter- legitimately – I had a seminary professor actually, Derek, who told the class that we can't pray for the salvation of individual people. And there was a little – Debate in class. I raised my hand. We had 42 people in the class. Because of election, oh, uh, wow. we could not pray. And then oh, I brought up wow. I brought up 1 Timothy 2, and they said, no, that's not what it's talking about. And then I brought up Romans 10, where right. Paul said he prayed he for the salvation, salvation. Of, of the Jews who were yeah. lost, and he, he dismissed that one too. <laughs> well, Do you think we can pray for the salvation of individual people? Absolutely. I reject that statement by that professor categorically. And I would just encourage our leaders to reject that categorically. That you our can, listeners, you mean? Our, our, what did I say? Our listeners. Our, yeah. our, listener, yeah. our listeners to this mm-hmm. podcast to reject that categorically, yeah. that you can absolutely pray for uh, people individually, by name, hoping for their salvation. Absolutely. And Be- still believe in election. And still believe in election, yep. because the truth about election is, is I don't know who's elect. Yep. That's one thing I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to pray for those whom God tells me to pray for. Yep. So number one, how do we pray for our leaders? We pray for their salvation. Number two, we pray for their wisdom and justice because mm. God expects them, book of Proverbs, they need to rule according to justice. Yeah. So God, give this leader uh, the ability to, to rule according to your wisdom and your justice. Number three, we can also pray for our political leaders um, for their restraint, mm. that God would rein them in yeah, when necessary. And that's uh, there are plenty of Bible verses for that either. Actually, restraint or removal or replacement, mm. actually, sure. um, as they go against God's laws and undermine peace in society. Number four, uh, we can pray for peace in society in general, yeah. for Christians especially, as we saw in First Timothy 2, um, and that leaders will enable that. Number five, we can be praying for our political officials um, in a way that Actually, this is for us in light of who they are. Strength and courage as Christians to endure maybe their persecution mm. that's coming our way. Mm. And we'll just have to live with it yeah. and deal with it. Yeah. Christians have had to do that all throughout history. Uh, number six, how else can I pray for my political officials? Um, maybe it's at times it's appropriate to pray for God's wrath. We know that first uh, Romans 118 says that the wrath of God is being poured out mm-hmm. currently on all unrighteousness and ungodliness that's going on in the world. So that is praying with the will of God. This is not a personal vendetta against individual leaders, but just a general truth that thank you, you, Lord, for pouring out your wrath. Vengeance is yours. I don't have to worry about that. You know what you're doing. Um, Thank you. So this is maybe just a thanksgiving that God's in charge as he doles out wrath that's appropriate according to his will. 
And then finally, number seven, sometimes we just don't know how to pray. And Paul said that in Romans and just that's the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf mm-hmm. sometimes. We just we want to pray, but we don't know what to say. We don't have the articulation of the right words. We don't have enough information and the Spirit intercedes. So we can at least pray for God's will to be done. Yeah. God, I don't know what to do about this candidate or this law mm. that's being done or, or all the authority that they seem to be abusing, God, but would your will be done, mm. please? Uh, I want to trust you with this. May God's will be done. So there's uh, just seven practical ways that we can beef up our prayer life on behalf of political officials. Well, this has been a very encouraging and helpful podcast. And I hope it has been, it's been that way for me. I hope Mm. it's been that way for our listeners. And uh, we need to be proactive in our prayer life for our leaders. It's been very helpful. And we want to encourage you to continue to check out withallwisdom.org. We've got resources, as Paul's are, uh, Paul, as Cliff has already mentioned, uh, we have plenty of resources already on the website that relate to government and politics and how Christians should think about them. We have podcasts, we have articles, and we just encourage you to get, that, get on the website, type in the search bar, politics or government, and you'll find multiple resources that will be helpful to you. And we look forward to seeing you. And until next time, keep seeking the Lord in His Word. Mm-hmm.